1: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. The very last paragraph is where we are today. Today we conclude the series that has taken us all the way through this 2 Corinthians, this letter to the Corinthian church. Here's the key concept today for today. Live your life saturated by the grace of Jesus, saturated by Jesus' grace. In this letter, we have seen the Apostle Paul bear his soul. We have seen him speak in personal tones, unlike most of the other letters that he writes. He's very personal with this church in Corinth. He's demonstrated that he has suffered on their behalf He experiences weakness on their behalf, all so that they might be blessed and that they might grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus. He has shown them that he's been disappointed with this church. He's let them know that, and as he signs off, even after really a a, a stern letter, he signs off with tones and words that are positive and that are hopeful, you see, one man has said, What is true of donkeys is also true of people. If you want them to hold still, you have to grab their ears. And he has grabbed the ears of the Corinthians, held them still with his words. This letter, 2 Corinthians, that we call 2 Corinthians, would have been read out loud in the church. They would have gathered together and just heard together the Apostle Paul's personal letter to them, possibly many times. And I can imagine there was a little squirming going on in the seats, a little bit of upset in terms of what they are hearing because he has demonstrated love, but it's been tough love over the course of this letter. But now he signs off with words that would be sweet to their ears. So let's read verse 11 and then to the end of the book. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, in that brief little paragraph, as he's signing off, he gives them six words of instruction, admonitions, you might say, and then he speaks over them uh, a benediction, a blessing at the very end. But six pieces of instruction are his takeaways from the book. This is exactly what I want you to do. Let me summarize. And six commands, you might say, and the first one might surprise you. The first one in verse 11 is rejoice. Now, for those of you who are reading the New International Version, like I read today from the pulpit, you're probably surprised because you don't see the word rejoice there. Instead, you see the word goodbye. But it's probably 50-50 in its room about, the, about who sees rejoice and who sees goodbye, because the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, all have the word rejoice. And rejoice is the better translation. It's the, it's, it could go either way, but it's the exact same word that Paul uses in Philippians when he says, rejoice in the Lord. The word is, I think, to be taken. Rejoice because it goes along with the motive that Paul has as he writes this letter and that has carried him through all the way uh, through his writing. He wants these people to know that even though he's writing correction to them, he loves them. And he wants to demonstrate that love, and to people that he loves, he wants them to experience joy. Joy as you work together, joy as you grow together, joy as you're walking together in this journey of faith, and he gives it in the form of a command. This is in a a command form of speech. He says, you have a duty, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a duty to rejoice. In fact, you're designed to do just that. Our radio broadcast that we, we take these messages that we preach every Sunday, we turn them into a, a radio broadcast that we broadcast out of KCBC in Sacramento, our radio broadcast is named, designed for joy, for this very reason, because I believe that to be true. God wants His people to rejoice. How can we not rejoice after all that we have in Jesus. God, out of love, sent His Son. Jesus lived among us. He died on the cross and paid the price of our sin. He conquered death and rose again. He lives in heaven, making intercession for the saints, and one day He's going to come in glory, and we will see Him face to face. Meanwhile, he's left the Holy Spirit to inhabit within us and enables us for service. He changes us bit by bit towards righteousness, and he promises us that if you know me, nothing can ever separate you from my love. How can we not rejoice? We have a joy that the world doesn't know about. C.S. Lewis when he, when he wrote his autobiography and he told the story about his, his conversion from atheism to being a follower of Jesus Christ, he named that autobiography Surprised by Joy. Because the world doesn't know about joy. The world doesn't understand our joy. Sinners mock our joy. And, but we have it in Jesus, and joy is largely the matter of aligning your life to the way that God wants you to live. And when you walk in faith in that journey, you experience joy. So forgive rather than holding on to that grudge, and you will have joy. Give rather than hoarding your stuff, and you will find joy. Bless rather than curse, and there will be joy. Serve rather than be selfish, and you will have joy. When you fall and you fail and you will, pick yourself up and keep on going towards Jesus, and you will find joy. Don't whine or complain about your circumstances, but rather look around you and give thanks for what you have, and you will find joy. The Bible is filled with the call to joy. (laughs) Psalm 511, let all who take refuge in you be glad and let them sing for joy. Not Psalm 9-2, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. The psalmist asks us to be glad. Do more laughing. Let your joy spill out towards those who are around you. Let them know that you're joyful. One of the the men that I pray with on Wednesday morning in our early morning men's prayer time, when he prays over the prayer cards that you give in, um, very often those prayer cards have to do with family struggles uh, this is a difficult thing, and we're in this together. And I know some of you are struggling in your families and relationships and struggling to find forgiveness and get over resentments and these kinds of things. And oftentimes that's what's represented on these cards as they, as they come in. But there's, there's one guy, when he gets a card like this, you, you know what he always prays? He prays, may there be laughter in this home again. I love that prayer. I love that because he recognizes that when there's laughter and joyfulness, there, there's a sign of health there. He prays for happiness because happiness shows that we're healthy. It's true in families. It's true in an individual life, and it's true in a church. Proverbs 17, a cheerful heart is good medicine. Paul wants the Corinthians to take a healthy dose of this good medicine. The people that you're cheerful with, people that you laugh with, you don't want to spend time with rejoice that's command number one command number two aim for perfection perfection maybe that surprises you maybe you thought well maybe it would be better just to say aim for being good enough but that's not what he says because good enough's not good enough he says aim for perfection Mend what's broken in your fellowship. Perfect that. There's a lot that's been broken in, in the Corinthian fellowship. Relationships have been at odds. Teachers have been giving wrong doctrine. Practices have gone astray. And now he says, you've got to do better because you're never done. You've never arrived. Aim for perfection. The word could have been translated restoration as well, but whether it's translated restoration or perfection in your Bible, the point is this, strive forward. God is not through with you yet. You are not done. Strive for more. Strive forward. No matter what you're, where you're at in your Christian walk. Not long ago, Sylvia and I were having a discussion. I pointed out to her, you know, um, every time I look uh, across the room, you're always fussing on your phone. What, what are you doing? Always just pressing buttons. What, what's all that about? She said, she said "I'm playing a game." Really? She says, "Yes." and I want to get a million points. (laughs) That's human nature, to strive for a goal, to have something in mind that we're shooting for. Paul is saying, I want you to take that human component of who you are, put put it squarely in your spiritual walk, just like you want to achieve in other areas of your life. Seek to achieve in your growth in Jesus Christ. Aim for perfection. First Peter puts it this way in verse, chapter 1, verse 15, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. That is a high standard. And I hate to insult you, but none of you have arrived at that standard, right? But that's the point, is to strive for it, move for it, aim for it. Aim for perfection. And then he says, command number three, listen to my appeal. Paul has done a lot of appealing over the span of the letters that he sent to the Corinthian church. We have two of them in our Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He sent at least one other letter. Many scholars says, say that he might have sent two other letters that we don't have. And now he urges them, don't be cold-hearted towards what I'm telling you. Don't set up uh, some kind of mechanism, defense mechanism against what I'm telling you. Rather, be humble to the appeal that I'm making to you in the Lord. Don't get into a loophole mentality and start, try to look for ways that what I'm saying doesn't apply to you. Well, maybe it applies to the guy next to me. This person over here certainly needs this. Some people say, you know, it's a great sermon, Pastor. My, my husband needs all of that, you know, that kind of moving the, moving the target a little bit. He says, no, no, you, you listen to my appeal. Receive it. Obey it. Some time ago, Brandon Smith preached a message here at Quail at the, on the danger of allowing false idols into our lives, of allowing other things, lesser things, to take a preeminence in our affections and in our ideas. What Brandon doesn't know, he's sitting right over here, but what he doesn't know is that two weeks after they preached that message, there was a man in my study. And he said, you know, I listened to that message, and I know that I am guilty of putting this, the certain possession that he had, putting this in front of all other things. It's becoming the most important thing in my life, and and I was listening to that message, and it was during that message that it just pierced my heart. I need to change. And he was in my office just wanting to pray about it and be encouraged in making that change two weeks after that message. And I stopped him as he was explaining that to me. And I said, listen, I just want you to know how pleased I am At how vulnerable you are to the Word of God. I want you to know how how pleased I am that you recognize that the appeal that we make through Scriptures is meant to make a change in your life. You see, a lot of us, after we go to church for a long period of time, we define a good sermon the wrong way. We define a a good sermon as a sermon that, you know, Pastor, I already knew everything you said, I already agreed with everything you said, and I'm already doing everything you said. Thank you for affirming my life. Good sermon. That's not a good sermon. A good sermon is a sermon that moves you forward. It's a sermon that penetrates a little bit to the heart, a sermon that, that asks you to ch- make, uh, uh, that appeals to you to change. There's something that's got to be happening in my life. I've got to be growing a little bit. In other words, a good sermon very often depends on what you do with it. And that man in that office, he was dealing with what God was saying to him. Paul is saying, listen to my appeal. Deal with what God is saying. Don't just let it pass by. That's command number three. Command number four, be united, be of one mind. We are a family of faith, but it's not easy to be. I read about the author F. Scott Fitzgerald. After he passed away, it is said that he left a a room filled with papers, you know, piles of papers and files, and what they were were outlines or, or just sentence ideas for novels that he never got around to write. And one of those sentence ideas was this. This is what he wrote. I'm quoting. A widely separated and diverse family inherits a house, but to own it, they must live in it together forever. I thought to myself, you know, that could be God's plot line for the church. Scattered and diverse, but we are called to inhabit one spiritual space. God calls us from all backgrounds, from all situations, from all kinds of ethnic groups. He wants us to be that tapestry that He intends to represent the people of the world, but come together in unity, to do what the world cannot achieve, and that is to work in unity and in love. So agree with one another, he says. There's been dissension in this church that's gone of all different directions. And in an atmosphere where you're constantly bickering and arguing, it seems like the littlest thing gets big, doesn't it? This littlest thing, that's not really all that important, but all of a sudden it blows up. Paul says, don't let that happen. He's not saying don't worry about truth, don't worry about doctrine. He's not saying that. But he's saying, remember, you're taking this journey of faith together, so don't let bitterness get in the way. Allow for differences of opinion. Allow for differences of personality. Remember to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus. Be united. And the fifth command is live in peace. It's a similar statement. He he, he thinks that this needs to be, you know, reinforced, live in peace. But he goes a little further. Read on with me in, in verse 11. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. See, in other words, if you persist, if this is your goal, you're going to be able to do this. Why? Because you're not alone in this. God is with you. It's not all up to you. He will help you. Each believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit within. Not only does He enable us with gifts, He unites us because of His presence. Paul is optimistic. He says, try this and God will be with you. I want you to live in peace. And then... The sixth command, greet one another with a holy kiss. In other words, demonstrate your unity. This is a fractured fellowship. Paul's saying, I want you to be united, I want you to think united, and I want you to act united. Make sure your love for one another is obvious. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, some of us are a little uncomfortable with that, right? Greeting one another with a holy kiss. For those of you who get here before five minutes to the start of the service, you recognize I'm out in the foyer greeting people as they come in. That leaves a whole lot of you out, by the way. Just saying. Okay. <laughs> but before five minutes to the hour, I'm out there greeting people. And over the course of the 18 years that I've been pastoring here, I've noticed that uh, I have to learn There's some people who are good with the holy kiss. Many of you are good with the holy handshake, maybe the holy hug, maybe the holy wave, maybe the holy head nod or whatever, you know, just going to hate, you know. But the point is, no matter what we're comfortable with, we're to demonstrate the fact that we're together in this and that we have unity. In Paul's situation in that culture, it wasn't a big smack on the lips. It was a little peck on the cheek, just like you see in in Europe and European-influenced societies. But the point is, don't just walk past one another. Don't just think it's all about you recognize one another, involve, encourage, include one another, greet one another. Let me tell you about my holy kiss story. I have time. I was preaching in the uh, barrios outside of Buenos Aires a couple years ago. In that culture, they greet with a holy kiss, or not so holy, depending on whatever. But anyway, they they always kiss and hug. And and, and I was preaching uh, in the outpost church, and it was just a tiny little church, uh, kind of a shack of a building, literally dirt floors, white plastic chairs, tin roof, and it was way into the service, way late into the service. I mean, the song service was over. Uh, I was already well into the sermon preaching. A guy was translating as I preach, and this lady came in the back, and I fully expected that she would, you know, just like what you would do, politely take a seat in the back, kind of obviously totally late, right? No. She walks down to the front of the sanctuary uh, the sanctuary. And starts to go person by person, row by row, greeting each of them with a holy kiss. Which meant that they each had to get up, they had to give her a hug, they had to kiss and all this. And I'm trying to preach here. Really? This is is 2 Corinthians 13 right, right in front of me, right here. So we paused, we waited, and she went person by person, person by person, row by row, kissing them all. And eventually she got it all done, sat down. It was time to start again. Then we started again. Now, you're not going to have to worry that that's going to happen here. Neither is a, is a stranger going to plant one on you in the hallway. It's not going to happen here. But the point is, make sure you demonstrate your affection. Love one another. Not, not only on the inside, but on the outside as, as well. It's hard to consider somebody a rival or an enemy that you genuinely demonstrate your affection for. It's hard to, to just continue to, to have those kind of resentments, whether it's through a holy hug or a holy handshake. Don't just walk by one another. And then he adds, all the saints send their greetings. In other words, just like you're, you're loving one another in your individual fellowship, this is a worldwide effort. And, and he's probably in Ephesus writing this. He's saying, here too, we send our greetings because we love you and we care for you. Well, those are the commands. Those are the, the takeaways, the points that he wants them to remember as he drills it into them in, in, the, in the very end of the letter. And then he pronounces what we would call a benediction over them. Now, now we, when we say benediction, very often we think that means closing prayer. It really doesn't. It, it means to speak well of. And he speaks well. These are my aspirations and my hope for you. Verse 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be be with you all. That's a great benediction, a great prayer to pray for your loved ones and your family members, those you care about, the grace of the Lord, the love of God, the fellowship of the Spirit. You notice with me that he involves each of the persons of the Trinity in this, in this closing verse. Long before theologians came up with the doctrine of the Trinity that they hammered out with all kinds of logic, Paul shows us the fact of the Trinity right here. God is triune, and I want you to make sure that every facet of who He is is involved of your life. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He takes us back to all that we have, and all that we have in Jesus is out of sheer mercy. We didn't earn it. There's nothing that you can do to deserve it. It's all of grace, and He lavished His favor on you. You are saved by grace. You are kept by grace. You are covered in grace, and this grace is not limited. It won't wear thin. It's not going to wear out. Whatever is good, the grace of the Lord Jesus can give you. Whatever is bad, the grace of the Lord wants to prevent in your life. Whatever is rightly desired, Jesus can provide it through His grace. And it is inexhaustible, it is abundant, it is sufficient, and grace continues. Imagine a man out in a country field on a beautiful day clear skies, pure air, and he breathes in that country air, and it just is so refreshing to him. And all of a sudden, a thought comes into his mind, if I keep sucking in this air like this, all of a sudden, it's going to be gone. I'm going to use it up. And a thought comes from the Lord, my son. My atmosphere is sufficient for you. My atmosphere is abundant for you. You'll never breathe it all in. And it's the exact same with the grace of God. It is sufficient for you. It is abundant for you. You are never going to use it all up. Grace. May the grace of Jesus be with you. May the love of the Father be with you. The work of grace in our life is a result of the love of God. First John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We said it earlier in the service, the innermost nature, the absolute essence of God is love. And He extends it to us in kindness and salvation and hope. Without exception, you are loved by God. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've seen. It doesn't matter what you have done. You are loved by God already. And on the cross, God offered himself up with his outstretched arms. He would embrace you today and he would simply say, I love you and I want you to learn to love me back. You are loved. I want you to know it. I want you to feel it. I want you to sense it. And lastly, he says, now you have the fellowship of the spirit. It goes two ways. The fellowship with one another, bound together by the Holy Spirit that we share and the fellowship with the Spirit as well, who illumines the Word of God to us and shows us who we are and what we must be doing. All of this is included in this statement. See, a Christian in isolation is not found in the Scriptures. We are meant to be together, meant to be journeying together in this faith walk. We are to have a fellowship. It implies unity. It implies commitment. It implies belonging. We are part of Him and part of one another. All of this, Paul says, this is what I hope for you. This is my aspiration for you. It's a great prayer. It's a wonderful benediction. It's a great prayer to pray over your loved ones, to pray over yourself in the morning. So, as we enter the holiday season, I'm going to ask you to pray this. Pray for grace. Pray for love. Pray for fellowship. Pray for those things to saturate your life and to just splash over on your family and on those that you know. Because when you pray that prayer, you will be praying a prayer that is absolutely in the center of the heart of God for you. This is just what He wants. And that's why Paul ends this book this way. That's His hope for us and them. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that when we look back, we can recognize that You have done so much for us but you're never done. You've not stopped. You're still working. Lord, help us to be protected from putting our faith and our experience in the past tense. Help it to be present tense, to remember all that you've done and to live in what you're doing right now. We rejoice in that. This is what helps us be content and give thanks as we look to you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you are accomplishing in and through us. We bless your name today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together as we sing.
0: We will remember all that God has done, and our response will be to give him thanks. Bye.
1: Just a minute, we're going to go our separate ways today, but maybe you're here and there is an issue for prayer in your life, a decision you're making, something that you're struggling with or praying for. We have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. They will wait for you, and they will pray with and for you. You don't have to carry that burden out today. You can lay it down. But first, let's pray together. Lord, thank You that as we look back, we see Your guidance and blessing. As we walk today, help us to walk in faith As we anticipate tomorrow, Lord, we know that you're already there. So show us the way. Help us to live for you. Enable us, we pray, to demonstrate the love that we have experienced to those who need it most. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.